Good morning, everyone. How are you all feeling this morning? Um, it's good to be with you all. It's, um, where if it's your first time at Refresh or if uh, it's your first time joining us uh, in the last few weeks, we're so happy you're here. We're actually partway through a series that's a lot about uh, relationships. We've labelled it Relationship Goals, right? And, and I guess what we're looking at at the moment uh, as a family is, I suppose, the, the approach that we can take to our relationships, particularly intimate relationships. So <coughs> with that in mind, who, who was here last week? I've got a couple hands, not many. Um, so for those of us who were here last week, what did, what did Jason speak to us a lot about last week? Singleness. I'm doing this because he said we were going to have a quiz and I feel like I have to be able to tell him because he's not here this week that I did quiz you guys. So we, we talked about singleness last week. Um, and I guess the overlying concept for this series is that we um, can often approach relationships with a pretty haphazard attitude right up to the point where the relationship becomes really serious. And at that point, we start thinking about our goals and our intentions and where we see the relationship going. But what we're trying to look at is what what kind of goals can we have for every stage of our relationship journey? Shouldn't we have goals when we're in a single state, when we're embracing our singleness? Shouldn't we have personal and even relational goals? When we're dating, shouldn't we have goals for that stage of our relationship? But so that when we are married, when we, we move into a more serious phase of our relationships, we're prepared. So with that in mind, um, we'll be discussing some concepts today that are, I guess, biblical, but we're applying them to a dating context. And the issue with that is that while there seems to be, uh, among a, lo- a large part of our society, this kind of um, pervasive idea that dating or courtship is a biblical construct, it actually isn't. Um, The dating and the courtship that we tend to engage in in today's culture didn't exist at the time the Bible was written or the letters that are in the Bible, the the scriptures that are in the Bible were written. It wasn't a part of their culture. And so we don't see a lot of specific advice for dating written in our Bibles. Because that would make my life very easy. I'd just turn to the chapter about dating for Jesus followers. There'd be a nice heading. We'd wander through it. I wouldn't really have to do a whole lot of work, would I? Um, But that's not the case. What the Bible does offer us with respect to dating is, I suppose, some overarching principles about the way we treat one another, the way we love one another. And it has a lot of advice for how we do that in very intimate relationships, and it has a lot of advice for how we do that in general relationships. And I think that those principles can also apply to our dating relationships. So that's what I want to look at today. I want to apply some of those biblical messages to a dating context. I'm just really out of breath because I had to carry this from here to there and like I'm still trying to catch up. That's why why it sounds like I'm about to die. Let's just all have a second to catch our breath. So if you were here last week, you would have heard from Jason that um, well, he, he heavily implied at least that I am today's sort of dating guru, that I have this wealth of experience and expertise that I've gained from years of dating successfully, and that I'm going to impart that wisdom to all of you. Uh, so he stitched me up. I actually have a very limited dating experience. I won't be sharing any of my personal insights or my, my 
experience forge wisdom with you all because I don't have a lot of it. Um, I'll walk you through my dating career, my dating CV. It all began in grade seven over in one of the classrooms over there. I, um, I had spent several months admiring this girl in my class from across the classroom. I had never really spoken to her in real life. She came to our school in grade six. I spent grade six sussing her out from a distance. I sp- spent most of grade seven sussing her out from a distance. And then in late, late grade seven or mid grade seven, I decided to take things to the next level. So I got on MSN and after school one day and I just laid it all out there. I, I, I agonized for a few hours over how to, how to kick things off. And I went with, hey. <laughs> and she responded, hey. She used two or three Ys on her hey. So I knew I was getting somewhere. I knew I was in the right place. <laughs> and that's how, that's how my dating career kind of kicked off, right? I, we chatted via MSN. I asked her out. I think I asked her out in person. That's how I broke, like, the, the verbal barrier. <laughs> like, um, and after I'd, bro- after, I'd asked, after I'd asked her out in person, I assumed it would become very easy to talk to her face-to-face. And it didn't. I continued to admire her from across the classroom and continued to go home and from about 4.30 to 8.30 p.m., my bedtime, every night, we would converse on MSN or Facebook or um, just SMS each other. Um, and that, that's the extent of our relationship from mid-2007 through to mid-2008. It was a, it was a good run um, and I didn't learn very much. Um, so that was that. That was that first sort of foray, and then I moved to. Uh, we, we fast forward a little bit to grade ten, where I um, I dated another girl in year ten for a little while. Um, broke that sort of verbal face-to-face boundary a little better, and then I was primed for year twelve when Ash snapped me up. Um, and since then, I've just clung to her and never let her go. So I'm fortunate in that the only kind of the only truly true dating experience that I've had has really been with Ash as an adult that is. So I won't be I won't be imparting any of my personal wisdom. I'll try and I'll try and just steal what other people have said and give it to you, um, and that way you'll think I'm really clever. <laughs> but I want to kick off this morning by asking you a question. I've just explained my dating experience. Have have you ever dated? Maybe you've been married for 30 years. What was it like when you first met the person you're now married to? Did you date? What did the dating look like back then? I talked to my mum. She dated 40 or 50 years ago. And um, and it was very different to how we date now. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have MSM for a start. Um, so we've come a long way. And, yeah, it was a very different experience. I think she, she, she talked about like the way she approached my dad initially was she carved into one of the desks at school, like I heart G E, and um, he sat there at that desk, saw the writing, and sussed out who it was from, and that's how they they started things up. Um, very different. Who's to say whose approach was better, really? Um, but have you ever dated before? Have you dated casually? Maybe you've dated very you've been in a very serious dating relationship. Maybe you dated before you were married. Uh, maybe you dated after your first marriage or your second marriage. Maybe you, you dated when you were at school, like me. Uh, maybe you've dated 
uh, on, on Tinder or Bumble. Actually, Caleb Metz asked me. He's on Tinder, for those of you who are interested. <laughs> I just didn't want to forget that one because he, he'd be really pissed at me if I didn't mention him. Whether it's eHarmony, whatever, whatever you've used, whatever the latest dating app is, I want to ask you, have you dated in the past? Have you ever dated? And I suppose if you're hesitant to answer yes to that question, if you're hesitant to describe what you do, how you approach forming a relationship with someone as dating, I think I have a little bit of an idea. I have a theory as to why you might be hesitant to characterize it that way. Because the thing that I feel like I observe just peering from the outside in at dating culture is we tend to live in a time and in a culture where we intentionally avoid defining relationships, particularly in that early phase. In the early phase of an intimate relationship, we are at pains to avoid putting labels on what it is that we're doing. And I suppose the underlying logic there is that the less defined a relationship is, the longer we wait to put a label on it, the less pressure there is, the less restricted we feel in that early phase of the relationship. So instead, we have this kind of pre-dating phase where we're not really single, we're not really, we wouldn't say we're dating, we're in between. Um, I actually had this brought home to me, um, the different ways we describe that early phase, whether it's, you know, we're just seeing that person or that, oh, those two people, they've been hanging out, they hang out a lot. Um, I was hesitant to include the term Netflix and chill only because um, my general rule of thumb is that once my old man becomes aware of a pop culture reference, that reference is dead in the water. No one is ever using it again. And so he became aware of that reference a year ago, and that's when I assume everybody stopped using it. And this was really brought home recently when mum and my sister, Sneaker, who did an excellent job this morning of introducing me, um, were chatting at home and they were like, uh, you know, high school's a very fluid time relationally and Samika was just updating mum on the status quo and she sort of said, oh, you know, those two people, I can't remember their names, um, they've been hanging out a lot, you know, they're hanging out. And mum, so eager for gossip, right, was like, oh, are they dating? Are they, are they dating? Are they together? And, um, and Samika's like, Samika's face just really just said it all. She's like, no, they're not dating, that's, no, they're not dating, they're just, and these are her exact words, they're not dating, they're just like, they're kind of a thing, they're like, they're, well, they're not, like, they're not a thing, but they're kind of gonna, everyone knows they're gonna be a thing, right, that's how she described it, word for word, and I just, and then, then it was mum's turn to do this face, like, what, <laughs> like, what does that, what does that actually mean, because for mum, and, and really for me as well, I gotta, I gotta admit, I, like, for me, I always thought there were sort of two phases. You, you know, you're friends, and then you're dating, and then then you might move on past that. Who knows? But there's this in-between phase of hanging out, of just it's it's weird, it's confusing. I like to call it pre-dating, right? So, and like while we might, what I think is interesting, I suppose, about this pre-dating phase is that for those of us who are unfamiliar with it, it seems like there are a lot of I would say relationship milestones that a lot of us would typically ascribe to a dating relationship that people now 
will reach before they're officially dating, right? So whether that's, <coughs> whether that's you know, going out on dates, but they don't describe them as dates, you know, whether that, you know, some people move in together, but if you ask them to their face, oh, no, we're just, we're kind of, like, we're not together together, but you know. So it's, it's a very, very vague and complicated space. And I think that the, an issue here is that people are trying to navigate their attraction, their emotions, uh, their personal values, see how they line up with the other person's values, and juggle that with the rest of their lives, all while, I guess, protecting themselves in a way, by not giving too much away too soon, by not investing too early or too quickly in that dating experience. I guess um, I don't want you just listen to me. I've got a few quotes from some people in that kind of area of their lives um, that I think you can have up on the screen. So this guy said, online dating is the worst. Each time I ask friends, ranging from early 20s to their 40s, how the temperature in the dating pool is, I'm met with borderline hostility. For all the talk of ease that a dating app allows for a potential date, the impression I'm left with is everyone is swimming in a pool they all took a dump in. That's, that's how he characterized it. He says, instead of getting out, everyone decided they needed to keep swimming in the sewage, perhaps even adding to it, because that pool is where people swim. Right? What other option do we have? This is dating now. This is, this is how it works. Another person said, I saw a meme once that read, it used to be, how long do we date before we have sex? Now it's, how long do we have sex before we date? And the last person says, we don't communicate our feelings to one another, but instead we play this guessing game with no intention of being with that person because it means you care and you're weak. Because whoever cares the least wins, right? Now look, maybe some of those statements resonate with you. If you've been on the dating scene recently or in the past, maybe they don't. You know, maybe, maybe your experience has been relatively fortunate or you've approached dating in a way that means you you haven't really had those awful experiences that he's talking about describing. And if that's you, then, you know, hats off to you. You know, you're obviously doing something right in this arena, but it is a complicated and difficult arena to navigate. Because I think those quotes, while I've tried to include ones that are a little lighthearted, but I found a lot that weren't, they actually speak to quite a toxic underlying culture in society today. The thing is with dating, although we might avoid putting labels on what we're doing, although we might approach things as casually as possible, thinking that, that if we don't take something too seriously, we can't be too seriously hurt. If you've dated for any significant period of time, you'll, you'll notice dating, dating isn't always harmless. Dating, dating can actually be devastating. So last week we actually looked at at this at part of this letter that the missionary Paul wrote um, to some Christians that um, he knew in a, in a place called Corinth. He'd started a church there. Uh, and Jason took us through how he gave them some advice on how to navigate, um, how to, I guess, merge their newfound Christian beliefs with, I guess, the, the, the upbringing that they'd had, the city that they were living in that was, was very unreligious. So in 1 Corinthians 10, um, Paul sort of talks to them a little bit about their personal freedoms uh, and about what living intentionally looks like. So 
he sort of facetiously quoting them. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. He says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And he goes on to apply this advice more specifically to Christian eating habits, um, which were kind of difficult to reconcile with a pagan culture. But he, all, he ends up by summing up in this way, right? He says, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, and I think dating can fall comfortably in that, in that bracket, do it all for the glory of God. He's saying the things that we do, we can't approach them with sort of a let's see what happens, haphazard kind of attitude all the time. We need to approach all of the things we do with some kind of underlying intention, right? And that intention should be to glorify God. And I think that can apply to, to dating just like anything else. So one of the things that I really took away from last week from what Jason shared was that if we want to be the best followers of Jesus we can be, then our singleness offers us an opportunity to, to devote our undivided attention, our energy, our passion and our abilities to going deeper and going wider. That is, Paul talks about singleness as the perfect opportunity, the perfect time in your life to deepen your relationship with Jesus and to widen your impact for Jesus in your community. And Jason just discussed how the reason Paul says this is because you have less competing priorities when you're single than when you're in a committed relationship. And, you know, you've, you're married, you've got kids, you've got other things pulling you in different directions. So what opportunities does dating offer us? Well, I really think that the opportunity, the opportunity that flows on into dating is that we can now focus some of that love, some of that passion, and all of those spiritual fruits that we have been developing in our singleness, we can focus that onto one person and we can sharpen the way that we behave. We can sharpen up our behavior. Because the thing is with these things, like all of those things, deepening your relationship with God, um, widening your impact in your community, uh, focusing your love on someone and sharpening your behavior, none of those things happen without effort. None of those things happen on their own if we just see what happens, see where it goes. It's like that Nutri-Grain slogan, you know, you only get out what you put in. And Paul sort of said that, but he said it a different way. He said, you know, you can do whatever you like, but, but not everything's beneficial. Don't expect everything to be constructive. And I think if Paul, if what Paul's saying is that when you're single, do what you can to invest in Jesus and invest in others, so that your singleness doesn't translate eventually into loneliness, like Jason was talking about last week. And then, dare I say it, it doesn't translate into laziness down the line. And for dating, I think Paul would say, you know, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself by saying that you can transition from singleness into a successful, committed relationship without any work, effort, self-improvement, or self-sacrifice on your part. And he'd say, don't lie to yourselves by saying, well, if we just hang out and I, you know, to use his words, and I seek my own good, you know, I look out for my priorities, my interests, my vulnerability, and the other person seeks their own good, they, they protect themselves, their interests. If we both just do that and we just, you know, we see what happens, everything will eventually work out when, I'm, when I meet the right person. 
message Paul would want you to leave with today is that, um, and I think this applies to, to all stages of our lives, but particularly when we're dating, whether you're, you know, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, whatever, I think Paul would say, uh, sustain personal, relational or spiritual growth and happiness. Those things, they never come from just sitting on happiness. It really doesn't matter how right you feel for one another. It doesn't matter how right we are for one another. If we avoid making clear goals and sharing those clear goals with each other, sharing our intentions for the relationship, we're, we're setting ourselves up for eventual disappointment. Because those we have those goals, we have those intentions. Sometimes we don't, we don't elaborate on them, we don't clarify them, we don't crystallize them for ourselves, but they're still there and they eventually influence our behavior. They're bound to come up sooner or later. Wouldn't you rather establish them early and decide whether your intentions are mutual, whether your goals are aligned early in a relationship than down the line because you've spent this time procrastinating and, and not putting a label on your relationship. So what I really want to sell you today is this idea of intentional dating. And I, and I want to talk about some of the relationship goals in the time we have left that can apply to this space. And I will come pretty hard on some of these things, um, mainly because, you know, like Jason said last week, a lot of the time, uh, you know, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we can know a lot intellectually about how God would like us to behave and how God would like us to approach relationships in different situations. But that intellectual knowledge doesn't always translate into godly behavior. And I know that, you know, We've all seen, we've all seen what operating without clear intentions looks like. You've experienced the dating scene or you've watched someone you love trying to navigate this area. If, even if you've just watched, you know, dating reality shows or you've experienced or seen, you know, the, the hookups, you know, the binge dating, you know, the one night stands, being friends with benefits, um, people ghosting or sneeding or U-turning or cohabitating, orbiting, vulturing, all these other dating traps. I had to Google most of these. I didn't really know what they were. but And I'm hoping not everybody here knows what they are either because I'm going to go through them in a little bit more detail. So for those of you who aren't clued in with our dating vernacular, these are some, some of the traps that we can fall into when we start to date, right? Ghosting, it's a pretty old one. Basically involves just cutting the cord, severing communication with someone with no explanation as to why what happened, right? One minute you're going along fine, everything's progressing, and then, bam, they don't get any response from you. You've, you've basically just dropped off the face of the earth. Sneeding, sneak eating. Apparently it's a newer one. Basically it's this idea that people go on dates for the free food and for no other reason, right? Which can work for a little while until the other person clues in, and then I, it's a tough conversation, I imagine. Betsy, you're laughing very hard at that one. U-turning, a little bit like ghosting, it's, uh, it's a sudden change of heart which leads to a sudden breakup, right? Fortunately, there is some level of communication here, but it's still very, you know, hot and cold. It's still, it's, it's a U-turn. Cohabitating, right? Moving in with someone to save on living expenses. I've never actually heard of people doing this, but apparently it's out there. What could go wrong? Am I right, you know? Um, orbiting, orbiting is similar to ghosting. I don't know whether anyone's experienced this, except 
you stay in someone's orbit, right? So they still have some limited distant contact with you via social media. You still like their posts. You still follow their Snapchat. You still, you know, follow them on Instagram. You're still friends with them on Facebook and they know you're there, but you're just sort of lingering in their orbit without actually having the conversation with them that ends with the the sort of dating phase. And the last one is probably the most disturbing. Vulturing, right? As the name suggests, you circle above the relationship that's on the rocks and then you swoop in and uh, sort of feast on the spoils of that broken relationship, which is a pretty, it's, well, it's pretty brutal. Well, that's the world that people are living in now. I don't know if you've experienced this, but obviously some people have. And to be honest, they're not even the worst dating trends that I found in culture. I got lost for about four hours online just clicking on more and more links, just going like further down the rabbit hole. And I guess what I learned is that is what, you know, many of you, many of us have have already seen or experienced. And that is that dating is hard and dating is complicated, like we've been saying. And so I guess my challenge for you is if you're sick of this stuff, if you've experienced some of that that list of of behaviours from other people or maybe even participated in it sometimes yourself, if you're sick of all that, and you don't want a relationship like the majority of relationships, then maybe it's time to stop dating like the majority of daters. Maybe it's time to start dating more intentionally, with more clarity, with more purpose. And look, that won't necessarily save you from being hurt by someone else, someone else who operates this way. But at least you'll know you're not contributing, you're not part of the problem. Instead, what you'll be doing is you'll be exercising the kinds of muscles that you need in a more serious and committed relationship. Because you'll need those skills, you'll need those muscles when you, when you decide you've found someone you want to progress to a more serious stage with. Because another one of the big myths that sort of seems to be present in our culture is that, you know, it's not such a big deal if I sort of behave this way. If I, if I do these things, if I, if I act this way, if I treat people this way, as long as they're the wrong person for me, I can treat the wrong people this way, as long as when I find the right person, I treat them right. When I find the right person, everything will be all right. I'll be better. I'll be honest with them. You know, I'll, be, I'll treat them well. I'll put them ahead of myself. Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, he, he calls this the, the right person myth. And the reason it's so interesting is that in every other area of your life, you know that you get out what you put in. You know that you reap what you sow. We don't like this, but we respect this principle in every other area of our lives. We respect this principle in our careers, in our work. We respect it in in our studies. Right? We don't like studying four weeks in, in advance of an exam. The reason we do it is because we know you get out what you put in. We know that you can't expect the right outcome if you don't put in any of the right preparation. And I guess if we apply this to dating, for some reason we tend to fool ourselves with this idea that we can still expect to end up in healthy, fulfilling, committed relationships without any kind of preparation, without practicing the behaviours that actually sustain those serious relationships. I suppose I was reflecting back on my brief dating experience with Ash um, as I was sort of preparing and one, um, one sort of habit of mine that came, came to mind and I, 
got permission to share it with you all today, is that when we were dating, I, um, I had this, this habit of basically when Ash would contact me, uh, when she'd message me or call me, a lot of the time I would let it sit. Um, and sometimes I felt like I had a good excuse for that. Sometimes I thought, you know, I've got this other thing, I've really kind of keyed into this, I'll, I'll really get back to that in a couple of minutes. Well, a couple of minutes would turn into a couple of hours, um, and then the next day I'd see her at school or I'd see her, you know, we'd go to uni or whatever, and she's like, let's, let's go, like, why, why haven't you done that? And I told myself at the time that part of the reason was, you know, I didn't want to come across a little bit too keen. I didn't want her to think that all I do when, when we're not together is sit in front of my phone waiting for her to contact me so that we can start chatting, right? I didn't want to come across too desperate. And I also told myself, oh, come on, we're just dating. It's not like we're married or anything, you know? Like, if we, if we ever get married, I said to myself, um, I'll treat her right. Like if, she expe- if she texts me, I'll be like, I'll be on that, like white on rice. I'll be, I'll respond to her immediately, right? And those of you who are married, like, how, how successful do you think that that switch was? Very unsuccessful. Right, I we moved into a more and more serious relationship. We got engaged, and now we've been married for all of five minutes. And I still, to this day, struggle to text her back in an appropriate kind of response time. Right, I'm still learning this painful lesson that if you don't practice something, if you don't do something when you're dating or when you're single, if you don't work out these relationship muscles. You don't suddenly grow them when you move into a serious relationship and you take on a serious commitment. I mean, what would Paul have said to me, you know, in that circumstance? He would have said, sure, buddy, you go ahead. You know, you've got the right to to behave however you like. But don't expect your behavior to be beneficial. Don't expect your behavior to be constructive. I think the other, one of the other, I guess, suppose problems with our outlook on dating in today's culture is that there seem to be more and more of us who treat dating as a relational destination. And what I mean by that is we, we start up a relationship with someone, we, we sort of progress to a dating relationship, and then we just camp out there for a long time. And, and I'm, I'm not here to prescribe um, your behavior when you're dating in terms of specific time periods and how you should progress through a relationship. But what I, what I do want to just point out, or what I do want to say is that I think as Christians, we are, we are generally of the view that God designed us for a little more than a, a long-term, semi-serious dating relationship. And if you're not a Christian and you don't prescribe to, to that sort of viewpoint, well, that, that, that's, your, that's your right. I mean, you don't, you, know, you don't prescribe to our worldview. But if you are a Christian, I feel like um, the Bible is very clear on this idea that we were designed for long-term commitment for, you know, eventually to find a partner for life. That's how God created us. And I think, yeah, I think the issue is that if we treat relational, sorry, if we treat dating as a relational destination, we're not really, we're not really treating relationship as God designed it. I think if we, if we choose to date, what Paul would say to us and what, what, um, the Bible teaches us that we should be treating it not like a destination, but like transportation, right? We should treat dating like transportation and date in the right direction. 
we Paul would say, you know, don't settle for, for companionship without sort of the intimacy or maybe the responsibility of long-term commitment. Don't settle for that just because it's comfortable or because it's easy, because God really designed you for more than that. And the destination should be where your dating train is headed, right? Some of us, some of us need to stop living on the train. We've set up camp on the train and we, we now live there and we don't really intend to get off. But trains aren't really designed as living spaces. They aren't really designed to sustain us forever. So I think Paul would say, you know what, set a course, pick a line, set a direction for your behavior, for your attitudes, for the way you love when you're dating, so that when you arrive at your ultimate relational destination, whether that's in this current relationship or a future relationship, when you arrive at that final destination, that's a destination that you intended to arrive at, and you're the person that you intended to be when you set off on the journey. In terms of some specifics, right, some guiding principles that we can use to set this direction, this course, I really think Paul comes through again for us later on in his letter with some pearls that you'll you'll definitely recognize if you've been to a wedding, um, particularly recently. So it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, right, a little, a few chapters later on. Uh, And Paul's writing about love, and the interesting thing about, I guess, the word love in this context is that um, the word Paul uses for love is the word that a lot of New Testament writers use to describe God's love for us, right? And in that sense, when Paul, when Paul tells us how to love, he's telling us, love the way God loves you. And so he says this, um, yeah, starting in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I don't know about you, but when I read the word always, that doesn't, that doesn't say to me a behavior that for a long time I sort of ignored. And then when I got into a serious relationship, that's when I started and now I always do that. Always tends to mean a, a behavior that you develop over a long period of time. It's what becomes ingrained in you. So my challenge to you, if you're, if you're dating or you're entering into that space, that period of your life, and I think it's a challenge that applies to us all the time, whether you're embracing your singleness, whether you're, you're happily married, whether you, you've, you know, you're, you've just finished, you've come out of the other side of a marriage and you're looking to start dating again. What I want you to do is, is not let yourself off the hook. And what I mean by that is I want you to ask yourself, This year, this this text, does this describe how you love? Does this describe how you date? Is that what love looks like for you in a dating context? And I I want you to confront yourself with the specific behaviors that this kind of love demands of you. And so if you're dating, here are a few that jump out for me, but there are so many more, and and I'd really challenge you to go through this, this short bit of text and just challenge yourself with, with what that looks like in your, in your context. First one that jumps out for me is don't dishonor others, right? Love does not dishonor others. To be honest with yourself today um, and this week, you know, has your dating behavior, has your approach to dating, has it ever dishonored 
the people that you date? And, if, and I was sort of posing the question to myself, and I was thinking, like, personally, I'd push back against that. I'd say, like, I'd never, I'd never intentionally hurt someone. I'd never intentionally, intentionally dishonor someone. But it can be so much more subtle than that, can't it? I would suggest that if you've ever engaged in any of the behaviors, any of the trends that we talked about before, then at the very least, you might not have honored those people as well as you could have. You know what's honoring in, in the dating world? Honoring someone looks like giving them clarity, giving them honesty, giving them specificity. If you want to date someone, be specific about the way you see them. Be specific about how you see a relationship with them developing. And ask them on specific dates. Um, I don't want to generalize, but guys, if you're going to ask a girl out, don't just say, oh, I want to go out, you want to hang out sometime, you know, you want to do something sometime. Because then you're basically putting all the pressure on her to come up with what it is you do. And then she is asking you out. You've done none of the work. So how you honor someone when you ask them on a date is you basically say, look, I've put a lot of thought into this. I've put some planning into this. And I'm going to run it by you. If you don't, if that's not something you're interested in, if that's not something you want to do right now, that's fine. But I'm honoring you by having, having something prepared. I've, I've put a bit of thought into it. That's saying, you know, I, I respect you enough to have developed some clear intentions and, and I've also respected you enough to share those clear intentions with you. And look, that leaves you feeling pretty vulnerable, doesn't it? But that is how we have been taught to love. The second thing that jumps out at me is um, the line about love, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing with the truth. There are other translations that say love delights in the truth. So what does that mean when we're dating? Well, I think it means you're transparent, not only about your intentions, like we spoke about before, but, but also just how you're feeling day to day, week to week, month to month. You're honest and transparent even when that transparency is uncomfortable, even when those feelings are uncomfortable to share. Because, hey, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean you don't need to talk about it. So sit down and have that difficult conversation. Sure, you could try, you could ghost someone. That's a very easy out, right? It's literally no effort on your part. You just stop replying to them. But is that really rejoicing or delighting in the truth? Is that really honoring them? I think what Paul would say is, one, that doesn't really solve the issue that came up. Your unwillingness to talk about it doesn't solve the issue. And two, I think Paul would say, that behavior isn't constructive. It's not beneficial. It's not building you towards where you want to be when you enter a more serious stage, a more committed relationship. It's not, it's not preparing you for next time. And look, if you're sitting there and hoping that, you know, well, when I'm married, like, we'll, well, when I'm in a more serious relationship, we'll be on the same page. You know, we'll be, um, we will have talked about all this in advance, and then we won't have to have these kinds of awkward, difficult conversations. Um, those of you who are married, conversations ever because my experience in the short period of time that I've been married is that I have more difficult conversations now than before and the only difference between the types of conversations I have is that for Ash and myself we've basically just discarded the pleasantries at this point we don't enter into it with this gentle kind of look I, you know I know this is probably not what you want to hear but you know I just I've kind of been feeling 
there's none of that, right? I have woken up at like 9, 8, 9 p.m. one night because I fell asleep early with Ash's nose about three millimeters away from mine and she is just unleashing a torrent of feedback about my behavior, right? And it's all justified. I don't want you to think she's, it's, it's unjustified. Like I, I can be very selfish. I can be very, uh, yeah, very inconsiderate, but this is not about me. Um, <laughs> but if you think that, you know, you might not have to have these conversations, these difficult, uncomfortable moments later, so you just avoid them for now, that, that's not how life works. And the third thing that jumps out at me is don't be self-seeking. Because um, I think what that says to me in dating is that, you know, make it a habit to put the person you're dating at the front of the line, right? Don't let yourself, don't, don't let yourself get away with habitually kind of mistreating them, not overtly, but just by putting your needs ahead of theirs. Not by much, just slightly. Don't let yourself off the hook for that. Even if they seem happy to march to the beat of your drum, don't take advantage of their generosity. Reciprocate that generosity. Mirror that generosity. If you can, amplify that generosity back to them. Because of course it's natural to have your own preferences about how dating relationships function. But God calls us not only to, to consider the other person's preferences, but to actually prioritize those preferences over our own. And I know that that's not natural, but that's how we choose to love the person we're dating when we follow God's advice. That's how we date in a successful direction. So here's a, a kind of exercise I want to leave you with this morning. Uh, particularly if you're dating, but really for those of you who are married or single or in any kind of phase of a relationship at the moment, I think it's useful for all of us. Um, I have to start with a disclosure that I am horribly addicted to uh, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I watch religiously. Um, it's unfortunate because it's terrible television, but I just can't look away. And one thing I've noticed from watching those shows is that, you know, a lot of people can talk with The Bachelor, when they're with The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, they talk perfectly, right? They say all the right things and they even behave the right way. And some of them, even when they're not with The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, they say all the right things directly to the camera. When they're in a group and they know they're being filmed, they act the right way, they say all the right things. But then other people talk about the way they behave off camera when they know the cameras aren't rolling. And it's completely different to how they behave when the cameras are looking at them. So I guess I want to ch challenge you with a little behavioral experiment, right? In your dating relationship, on your next date, uh, the next time you catch up, the next time you're, you're chatting on you know, social media, I want you to pretend that the cameras are always rolling. I want you to challenge yourself to date and to love in such a way that if a heap of us here had nothing better to do on our, on our evening, you know, in our evening schedule, we could all come here, we'd throw the footage up on the screen and watch it back. And when we watched it back, we would look at, at the way you date, the way you behave in a dating relationship and we'd go, gee, they, they really know how to honour that person. They really know how to honour their boyfriend, their girlfriend. Or man, they're, they're honest, man. Some of those conversations, they were tough. 
brought it up. They never seemed to hold back because it was easier or it was more convenient. Or maybe we'd say, gee, they, they really know how to prioritize the person they're with over their own self-interest. Because I really believe that's the kind of love that Jesus showed. And it's the kind of love that he calls us to as well. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, um, this series is a pretty challenging one. It's a challenging one to talk about. And um, maybe that's a little bit because we, we don't really talk about it enough. Um, so I just pray that um, for those of us who are, who are dating or moving into that space, that period of our lives, maybe looking to date again or whatever it may be, and even for those of us who aren't currently dating um, or are in relationships, I just pray that you'll help us to apply the kind of love that we've spoken about today. I pray that you'll, you'll help us to develop clear intentions that we will date with purpose um, and that we will treat dating uh, not as an ultimate destination but as, as a way to prepare for that ultimate destination. Uh, I pray these things in your name.